New research on Windows 11 telemetry. Americans have overall flunked a privacy test. Reddit suffered a data breach. Some upcoming updates to Thunderbird and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 121, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. I am Henry from TechLore. Our promo segment, as usual, is Patreon, LibrePay, and Monero. If uh, you are looking to support us and get a little bit of something in return, some perks, we have a Patreon where if you pay $5 a month, you can be part of the Q&A. We're going to answer some questions at the end of the show. $10 a month, you get access to an ad-free segment where you don't have to listen to this stuff. And it is super nice. That's an ongoing way to support us. If you don't really care about the perks and you're just looking to support us in a relatively privacy-friendly way, there is LibrePay, which is a lot more privacy-respecting than Patreon. But the best option would, of course, be Monero, which is an anonymous cryptocurrency. And we don't see anything about you. We just see the support. Speaking of Monero, we want to remind you guys that if you are looking to attend a conference this year, Monerotopia is happening in May in Mexico City. We have a promo code for them that is no surveillance one, the number one, no surveillance, all lowercase. You get 10% off tickets. It is actually official. I will be doing a workshop at Monerotopia. So I will be there. I will be teaching. If you want to come say hi and check it out, it should be a good time. Thank you guys so much for helping us keep going. And whether you show up at Monerotopia or not, we appreciate you. Thank you. And also we have a quick announcement for our VIP people. The VIP audio has been fixed up for all patrons. So if you are trying to listen to the audio in your RSS feed, It hasn't been working until now, and now it is fixed. I think video has been going. Audio is the one we've been struggling with. So yeah, if you're a patron and you're supposed to have that, be sure to go log into Patreon real quick and check that. We've got a post about how to get that going. This week's highlight story, so this is actually going to come from a video from the PC Security Channel, who did a quick little demonstration. You know, not the most scientific thing in the world, but it still really gives us um, some good insight into this problem, which is how much more data Windows 11 sends compared to older versions. So this was using Wireshark, which actually anyone can do. So you can reproduce this yourself if you wanted to using Wireshark. We actually recommend using Wireshark for a lot of things if you ever are curious what programs are doing connecting to. But these are on two clean Windows installations. The first was brand new Windows 11, and the second was just Windows XP. Just a quick analysis showed that Windows 11 connected to many third-party servers and services, most of which did nothing but simply add a tracking. It's also worth noting that all of the activity happens on every Windows 11 machine out of the box without asking the customer, and before they even try to use the internet. A lot of people do recommend enterprise versions, uh, which allows you to reduce much of the telemetry, but these can be super expensive, and a lot of people pretty much suggest pirating it, which is also not a great alternative. So there are some third-party scripts like Windows Spy Blocker and Owendo Shut Up, and I do believe there's Windows 10 Privacy, but I don't think that works on Windows 11 at this point in time. You can always use DNS filters and things like that, like Savings Portmaster might handle some of this, and also things like NextDNS have some kind of native tracking protection against Windows 11, I believe. Here's what I have to add. (laughs) If you can, friendly reminder, you should switch to Linux. Linux is not always necessarily a security improvement, so keep that in mind, but it's definitely a huge privacy improvement, and personally, I think as long as you're being smart, you're not clicking on like every single link you see, and you're keeping your stuff updated, the security risks are not really applicable to the average person. That's just my personal opinion, so yeah, this is just your reminder, switch to Linux if you can, although yeah, some people are unfortunately forced to use Mac or Windows or whatever, and Windows 10, we announced before, Windows 10 does have an expiration date now, so you can try to stay on Windows 10 for now if you want. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it will be coming to an end soon, so... This is something you're going to have to deal with one way or another if you're a Windows user. 
I agree. And Windows 10 already has some of this telemetry, so you're not really avoiding it. And I will say from a pure privacy perspective and just avoiding this kind of telemetry, Linux is definitely the best case scenario. With that, we will move into data breaches. We're going to start off in California, where a medical group data breach has impacted 3.3 million patients. The group was Heritage Provider Network, which includes Regal Medical Group, Lakeside Medical Organization, ADOC Medical Group, and Greater Covina Medical. So if you're any of those are your providers, you might be in trouble. This includes full name, social security number, date of birth, address, diagnosis, and treatment, lab test results, prescription data, radiology reports, health plan member number, and phone number. A10 Networks confirms a data breach after the Play ransomware attack. So A10 customers include Twitter, LinkedIn, Samsung, Uber, Sony Pictures, Windows Azure, Xbox, Yahoo, Alibaba, Comcast, GoDaddy, Huffington Post, and tons of more recognizable names all around the world. They haven't said exactly what was impacted, but they did say that threat actors did manage to plant malware and compromise data related to human resources, finance, and legal functions. Play says it includes technical documentation, employee and client documents, agreements, and personal data. Indian social media app Slick has exposed children's user data. This was the result of an exposed database that contained full names, mobile numbers, dates of birth, and profile pictures of 153,000 school-aged children since December 11th. That's pretty much it. Drug distributor Ameris Sourcebergen, that's one word, I think, confirms a security breach. So this is a pharmaceutical product distributor, medical business consultant, and patient services provider with 42,000 employees and 150 offices worldwide. The article did not say what was exposed, and AB has not confirmed it yet. The breach may have happened in late 2022, and I'm sure we'll get more details as they come out. We Grocery Service confirms data breach, 1.1 million affected. We claims to be the largest Asian and Hispanic grocery store in North America, delivering food across 48 states in the U.S. via warehouses spread throughout the country. That's a quote from the article. This data includes first and last names, email addresses, phone numbers, device type, order notes, and quote, other data. The company confirmed that they had suffered a data breach and affected customers from July 2021 to July 2022. The attacker claims that this impacted 11 million users, but Have Ebb and Pwn says that there were only 1.1 million unique email addresses, so it was probably a lot of repeat data, like maybe every individual order got its own line or something like that, so yeah. This is from Money Lover for Android and iOS, which leaked email addresses. So Money Lover is a finance application that allows users to manage their expenses and budgets that has been downloaded 5 million times in the Play Store. And the app is also available for iOS and Windows. This included email addresses, wallet names, and limited transaction data, which were exposed to any authenticated user. This only impacted shared wallet users. If you use the app, put this on your radar and change your passwords, change your emails ideally, try to use email aliases and 2FA when it's available. Our next story is kind of a big one. It says, Cybercriminals breach Reddit to steal source code and internal data. Quoting the article, Reddit suffered a cyber attack Sunday evening, which will be a week from today when this comes out or, you know, somewhere thereabouts, allowing cybercriminals to access internal business systems and steal internal documents and source code. The company says the attackers used a phishing lure to target Reddit employees with a landing page impersonating its intranet site. The site attempted to steal employee credentials and two-factor authentication tokens. After one employee fell victim to the phishing attack, the threat actor was able to breach internal Reddit systems to steal data and source code, unquote. So at this time, they are saying that there is no evidence of any user user data being stolen. They said that this was not a production environment, but it's still source code which could 
potentially reveal other vulnerabilities, so... Mysterious leak of Booking.com reservation data is being used to scam customers. This article shares the story of one user who made a reservation for a hotel via Booking.com and then proceeded to receive two eerily accurate spam emails, plus a WhatsApp message that included his real information. A deeper investigation found that many, many other users have reported similar incidents for the last five years. This doesn't just last five months, five years. Booking.com clearly has some kind of compromise or some kind of data flow that's not properly secured. They gave some sort of response about a partner being compromised and claim to have blocked the accounts to prevent further damage. But how is this continuing to happen? What happened? Is there anything that people can do? Is there any recourse? These are definitely the right questions that we will be asking, and we'll see if there's any updates here. And our final data breach is an update. It says Taiwan finds car renting giant iRent for customer data spill. So these are actually two separate fines for a total of just shy of $10,000 USD in response to an exposed database that affected over 400,000 people. This took place back in January, so we probably covered this. A researcher found that iRent was exposing an unprotected database, which included customer names, cell numbers, email and home address, partial card numbers, and at least 100,000 identification documents, such as selfies, signatures, and rental details, or including selfie signatures and rental details. So iRent took a week plus government intervention to close the database after the report. So it wasn't even like him reporting it. He reported it. They didn't respond. He got, I think it was TechCrunch that did this article. He got them involved. And then it still took the government stepping in to finally get IRAN to do something. So what a great company. And we're going to move over to the companies for the week, starting with a very familiar story, if you listen to last week's report, which is Mozilla, similarly to Google, is looking ahead to the end of Apple's WebKit rules. So last week we talked about Google, who is internally experimenting with a Blink-based browser on iOS uh, because Apple is theoretically supposed to drop the WebKit requirement on iPhones so that browsers can have their own engines that don't rely on WebKit because Apple enforces WebKit on every browser. So Mozilla is testing this with their own internal testing as well. So we're keeping an eye on that. It's seeming more and more like all these web developers are starting to tinker around with non-WebKit browsers on iOS, which is really exciting, I think. I agree. Our second company story comes from Android, and this is also an update, and it's a good update. Android 14 to block malware from abusing sensitive permissions. This article is kind of technical, and it discusses how Android 14 will crack down on permissions to prevent malicious apps from intercepting traffic meant for other apps. So, for example, this is kind of the first thing that popped into my head. If you're an Android user, you may know this. So if I sign into... Bitwarden. I use a YubiKey. And if I sign into Bitwarden on the app on my Android, if I want to use the YubiKey to authenticate that login, it actually redirects me to the browser. And then that's where I have to like plug it in, tap the button, whatever. And then it takes me back to the app. So that would be an example of two apps communicating. And the article points out that there's a way for malicious apps to be able to intercept all that traffic and glean all sorts of data. I mean, I'm sure it varies from app to app, but you know, at very least they might be able to know like, oh, you know, the browser and, and, Bitwarden are communicating and it might even be able to see what they're doing, you know, like, oh, it's authenticating a hardware token. And of course, this can be really bad. So, um, yeah, they're going to crack down on that, which is probably nothing but a win as far as I know. And it also limits files downloaded by apps to read only mode. I think that probably won't affect most people. I'll be interested to see how that pans out, though. But I mean, this is all really good stuff. And then also for those who are curious, Android 14 Preview 1 is already out. So it looks like 14 will probably be here sooner than later. 
All right, and now the research for the week. So this was definitely a fun story. So Americans flunked this test on online privacy. I'm going to quote here. Many people in the U.S. would like to control the information that companies can learn about them online, yet when presented with a series of true or false questions about how digital devices and services track users, most Americans struggle to answer them, according to a report published on Tuesday by the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. The report analyzed the results of a data privacy survey that included more than 2,000 adults in the U.S. Very few of the respondents said they trusted the way online services handled the personal data. The survey also tested people's knowledge about how apps, websites, and digital devices may amass and disclose information about people's health, TV viewing habits, and doorbell camera videos. Although many understood how companies can track their emails and website visits, a majority seemed unaware that there are only a limited federal protections for this kind of personal data that online services can collect about consumers. 77% of the participants got nine or fewer of the 17 true or false questions right, amounting to an F grade. Only one person received an A for correctly answering 16 of the questions, though no one actually answered all of them correctly. It's interesting to see the amount of people who kind of just go along with saying, oh, yeah, like, that's important. Yeah, like, privacy, like, these people are invading our information. Yeah, like, I feel like it's become common knowledge now that privacy is maybe important or it's something that is an issue. Because I feel like if you ask people about privacy, they seem to know, like, the very surface level of it. But the moment you actually dig into that, you know that there's just no real knowledge or information behind it. And I think that's what this speaks to. They've got a sample of the questions in there. It's worth checking out. Yeah, I'm seeing it in the report now. Okay, our next story comes from technically the Washington Post, but I think this one was paywalled. Um, so I had to share it from Slashdot. It says, are citywide surveillance cameras effective? I'm going to go ahead and quote the article here. The Washington Post looked at the effectiveness and the implications of citywide surveillance networks, including Memphis's SkyCop which is built on 2,100 cameras that broadcast images back to a police command center every minute of every day. The company that runs SkyCop promotes it as a powerful crime deterrent that can help neighborhoods take back their streets, quote unquote, take back their streets. But after a decade in which Memphis taxpayers have paid $10 million to expand the surveillance system, crime in the city has gone up. No agency tracks nationwide camera installation statistics, but major cities have invested heavily in such networks. Police in Washington, D.C. said they have deployed cameras at nearly 300 intersections by 2021, up from 48 in 2007. In Chicago, more than 30,000 cameras are viewable by police. In parts of New York City, the cameras watch every block, yet researchers have found no substantial evidence that cameras actually reduce crime. Kind of confirming what we many of us already knew, because this is not the first study of this crime. Surveillance doesn't actually, like mass surveillance, doesn't actually work doesn't actually do anything. We're going to enter politics. The UK has proposed making the sale and possession of encrypted phones illegal. Yes, this story is actually ridiculous as the headline sounds for those more technical people who ask, what is an encrypted phone? What does that mean? And that's what my question was as well. What does that even mean? So let's try to describe what they think it means. So a section of the UK government has proposed making the sale or possession of encrypted phones for crime a criminal offense in its own right. The measure... I just want to point out that that word in there that you skipped is actually central to this whole debate. <laughs> I think that's actually the word they used in the, in the, the, the law. All right. A possession of bespoke encrypted phones for crime a criminal offense in its own right. The measure is intended to help the country's law enforcement agencies tackle organized crime 
and those who facilitate it, but civil liberties experts tell Motherboard the proposal is overboard and poorly defined, meaning it could sweep up other forms of secure communication used by the wider population, if not adjusted. It sounds like Nate and I have similar questions here. What does an encrypted phone mean? Does that mean that it's encrypted? Like, you can't just plug it into a computer and read the data, because if that's the definition, literally iPhones, Android, every phone you buy nowadays is encrypted. So does that mean every phone is banned? Does that mean every phone is illegal? Or are they just talking about phones that are advertised to be for criminal offense, but the one we just covered recently didn't advertise itself to be for criminal offense. It just advertised itself as a hardened phone, which is not even accurate based on what it offered and what we read, but does this mean that you can't have end-to-end encrypted messengers on an encrypted phone? This makes no sense. Clearly, this is the kind of thing that I read and I go, wow, this is like some politician who thought this sounded good and doesn't really understand how phones work and that the phone they're using in their pocket is an encrypted phone. Yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts there as well. So I just want to add, like I said, the whole debate centers around that word bespoke. Apparently, that's actually the word they used in the, the actual like proposed law. And I looked it up just now. According to Merriam-Webster, the definition of bespoke is custom-made, dealing in or producing custom-made articles. But that still doesn't make any sense. So there's two ways of looking at it. Either custom-made is anything that is not Android or iOS, in which case, you know, Samsung's little crappy variant is going to be illegal. Huawei, OnePlus, they're all a little bit different. They're all customized. Okay, but if those don't count because they're still mass produced by a company, right? Calyx, Lineage, Divest, all these other projects out there. It's not like anybody's contacting those developers directly and they're like, hey, here's what I want out of a phone. Those are still mass produced operating systems. And then, yeah, okay, so what does that mean? What I wrote in the notes here specifically is, okay, so what about one of those sites like NitroKey, for example, where you can go buy a phone that's pre-flashed? I don't think anyone should do that because it's more secure to do it yourself and it's actually not that hard. But also at the same time, I think people should have that right if if they trust the company and they want to do that. So like, what, now people can't buy those pre-flashed phones? Okay, but then what if they buy it and flash it themselves? Like, I don't know. That might actually be a win for the criminals because then they can stop buying freaking honeypot phones. This makes no sense. So I'm thinking here, what if someone forks AOSP, Android Open Source Project, and they build it themselves and sign it with their own encryption key. Are they breaking the law now? Oh yeah, because it says possession, you're right. So even if they're not selling it to anyone, even if they're like, this is just for me because I'm not happy with any of the current ROMs out there now, yeah, you're right, that's illegal now. So this makes literally no sense, and I think it would call into question a lot of different things. This seems like a crap law built by some dumb, dumb brain. And I have no <laughs> issues saying that. Like, this is so dumb on such s- harsh words, Henry. Such so harsh many. Words. I don't, some I don't, dumb, dumb brain. I can't believe you said I that. I don't normally, like, straight up call people dumb, but this is, like, so stupid on so many levels. And I don't mind you keeping that in there, because this is actually objectively just so dumb and i really hope that whoever put this law together hears this someday like they hear someone call them dumb because this is a dumb proposed law that makes literally no sense (laughs) all right our next one's actually pretty quick it says senators launch inquiry into telehealth companies for tracking and monetizing personal data so that's kind of it last week we covered a story i believe it was from the markup about how um kind of one of those not a shocker to those of us who are in this stuff all the time but mental health companies are using a lot of like Google Analytics, Metapixel, stuff like that. And they're just tracking a lot of information that you would think would be protected by law because it's sensitive health data. And senators are starting to take notice. Now, this is not a formal inquiry. Basically, several senators from both parties, so it is bipartisan, have written letters demanding more information from Monument, Work at Health, and Cerebral. 
we'll see if anything actually comes out of this or if this is just kind of PR, you know, oh yeah, we wrote him a letter, so we're doing something, but... Okay, so there's a little-known Maryland law that requires people with sleep apnea to report diagnosis to driving authorities. So a dentist went to a sleep clinic and got tested for sleep apnea, but said he isn't clear how the state learned about this diagnosis. The article goes on to say that the DMV can be informed by a doctor if the doctor believes the patient presents a risk, which, I don't know, I, I feel mixed about that one. I just find it concerning that the patient which was the dentist in this case, uh, wasn't aware that this was happening. So either there has to be better disclosure or there has to be a way to opt out of this. That'll take us into the free and open source news. And we're going to start with one that, you know, this story really made the rounds, but I, I got to be honest, I don't understand why. And that's not because I think it's a bad story or anything. I just don't feel like there's much to this story. So the headline says why we're rebuilding the Thunderbird interface from scratch. Which is good, for the record. Like I said, I'm not opposed to this. So basically, for years, users have complained about the outdated look of Thunderbird, which is fair. I will also readily admit, I use it a lot, but I will also readily admit it looks kind of like crap. Like it's from, I don't know, early 2000s at, at the latest. So according to this blog post, which is directly from the Thunderbird people, Thunderbird is, and I quote, Literally a bunch of code running on top of Firefox. All the tabs and sections you see in our application are just browser tabs with a custom user interface, unquote. There's actually a really good video I recommend you guys watch. It's right there at the beginning of the article, and it basically is the the, uh, the article in audio format. This basically means things are constantly breaking as Firefox updates. You know, Firefox pushes out updates like every month, and I think even like a few micro updates in between. So, you know, they'll rename things, they'll deprecate certain libraries, so on and so forth. And then that means something breaks in Thunderbird. So they actually had a, at one point in the video, they had a side-by-side comparison of like all the merge requests or all the merges or whatever, whatever it is, I'm not a developer, all the the updates they made to um, Thunderbird in a week. And it's like, you know, this big. And then they're like, all the things that Mozilla did in that same week to Firefox, and it just keeps scrolling for like several seconds. Therefore, the team is planning to completely rewrite the code. They're going to be less dependent on Firefox, which will make it overall better. It'll stop just being a bunch of fixes piled on top of each other. It'll make the code a lot cleaner, a lot more stable, a lot safer. And as a result, this is going to give them the opportunity to improve the user interface and the user experience. The important notes here are this is going to take a while. The article said at least two years. And they also didn't, they really didn't list any specific changes, which granted as a non-developer, I I probably wouldn't know what most of this means anyways, but they didn't indicate any sort of like, you know, we're switching to this library or, you know, we're going to use this engine. Like they didn't really say what they're doing to the code other than cleaning it up. They also didn't show any screenshots of what the UI is going to look like or anything. So basically it was just a blog post saying like, hey, here's all the problems and we're going to fix them, which I think is still good, but just kind of saying like, we don't really know what's coming. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what the final product is going to be, but they have promised it's still going to be open source all of that stuff. If you're interested in that, I definitely recommend checking it out. Up next, there is a Snowflake extension, which is, uh, I don't, is it run by the, I believe it's run by the Tor project. Either way, it helps people who use Tor access Tor in areas where Tor might be blocked. There's the Snowflake, Snowflake extension that you can install to help with this. It pretty much allows you to safely use your own device to help people access Tor. So if you want to help the cause, you can actually do this yourself. You can also run Snowflake on your website. But the extension is trying to upgrade their hardware to support more bandwidth. They have seen a dramatic spike in users, and you can also help donate via Open Collective as well. So all good stuff. Yep. And then our last story is a real quick one. Linux 6.1 was officially promoted to being an LTS kernel. This will last through December of 2026, possibly even longer. Kind of technical backend stuff, but maybe interesting for the open source fans in the audience to know. 
So Misfits, first story, and I, I, I have no clue how to say this, but new ESXi ARGs <laughs> ransomware version prevents VMware ESXi recovery. Last Friday, a massive and widespread automated ransomware attack encrypted over 3,000 internet-exposed VMware ESXi servers using a new ESXi ARGs ransomware. Preliminary reports indicated that the devices were breached using old VMware SLP vulnerabilities. However, some victims have stated that SLP was disabled on their devices and were still breached and encrypted. The article outlines the technical method in which CISA was able to create a free decryptor and how they released a script for the victims to use, which is actually really nice. The attackers responded by encrypting even more data in new versions, which makes the data harder to recover, in some cases even impossible. It's unclear if they mean unrecoverable at all, even with the decryptor, or if they mean just without the decryptor. So we assumed a second, but we don't quite know. But either way, definitely kind of a scary story. So if you are running anything like this, especially something like a server, make sure you're staying up to date with things, people. In response to your keeping updated, some victims claim they were. Like that uh, some victims have stated that SLP was disabled on their devices and were still breached and encrypted. So I'm assuming we're going to hear more about this in the future because the article specifically noted that like, okay, but then if these people were saying that they were patched and they had this vulnerability disabled, how did they get hit? Did they say it was patched or it was just disabled? I believe both. Okay. Early in the article, it said it was disabled, but later in the article, they, when they were speculating on that very topic, they mentioned that these people claim they were keeping updated and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, either way, if it was disabled, it was supposed to protect them from this particular attack vector. So... how did they turn it back on or something like did they get access in the first place or yeah it's just it's really weird i'm sure we'll hear more about it but definitely okay and then our last story is just uh an interesting one or a quick one that i hope will be good news it says us nist unveils winning encryption algorithm for iot data protection quoting the article here the national institute of standards and technology nist announced that ASCON is the winning bid for the lightweight cryptography program to find the best algorithm to protect small IoT devices with limited hardware resources. ASCON was selected as the best of 57 proposals submitted to NIST, several rounds of security analysis by leading cryptographers, implementation and benchmarking results, and feedback re- uh, received during workshops. The whole program lasted for four years, having started in 2019. NIST says all 10 finalists exhibited exceptional performance that surpassed the set standards without raising security concerns, making the final selection very hard. ASCON was eventually picked as the winner for being flexible encompassing seven families, energy efficient, speedy on weak hardware, and having low overhead for short messages. NIST also considered that the algorithm had withstood the test of time, having been developed in 2014. Unquote. There's a lot more in the article, as always, a lot more technical stuff, but I'm hoping this will be good news because maybe there's a running joke that a lot of you guys may have heard. The S in IoT stands for security. I'm hoping that this means we'll start finally seeing some security in IoT devices because now there's an actual NIST standard that people can say like, hey, we meet this standard And it sounds like they really took a lot of things into consideration there. And it sounds like it was a good choice. So hopefully we'll start seeing some meaningful security on IoT devices now. And actually, before the q and I <laughs> this isn't in the notes, but I just quickly looked through my RSS feed and I wanted to just throw this in here. This is just a fun story. Bloatware pushes the Galaxy, the new Samsung Galaxy S23 Android operating system to get this, an incredible 60 gigabytes 60 gigabytes. This means if you buy a Samsung phone with a 128 gigabyte amount of storage, half of your storage is now used for Android OS, which by the way is four times larger than Google's stock Android. And this is because, just for people who don't know, 
Samsung is required to include Google's suite. And then Samsung has all of their own crap. So they have like their own version of everything. So you have Google Chrome and you have Samsung's browser and you have that with literally every Google program. And then Samsung also sells to the highest bidder installations for their application. So you're going to find Netflix, Facebook, and all these devices pre-installed on Samsung devices. So I did throw this in here because A, it's just fun and it belongs in the Misfits section. But also people, please avoid anything that's not like a stock pixel or an iphone or like anything that's not a custom rom like all these devices really do suck for your privacy and security because all this bloatware stuff that is just stuck on your phone when you get it and there's always ways to try to like mitigate this but just avoiding these phones and recommending people this is the important one recommending people in your life get away from samsung and all these other crap roms is always a good thing all right and that'll take us into the q a section we're gonna start off with sam m i think this is more of a, a henry question because i think you have more Henry, did you summon me? Yes. (laughs) Let me find it. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Well, no. So his question is, can you provide your thoughts on the reliability of Anchor following their recent data breach and their subsequent statement regarding fixes implemented? Are their measures enough to ensure secure use of their products or is it still risky to use them? Ooh, interesting. So I actually touched on this last week, but I cut it out um, even in the VIP one because I wasn't super happy with my answer that I gave when I was editing it. Honestly, there's no like correct response because we just don't quite know yet. Like I can say, yeah, like they implemented all these great changes and this actually might put them in ahead of the competition now. Um, But we actually don't know that yet because we still have yet to see them implement these changes and we have to see um, the test of time if, if that's actually going to be the way things pan out. And a lot of the things that they implement are preventative. Like they're establishing a bug bounty program, so they might be catching more issues down the road, but we need to see that actually happen. The way I would look at this is I was I wouldn't look at Anchor comparatively to the market right now because we can't really do that. I would just look at Anchor as Anchor and be like, okay, well, this is was the issue. They're fixing X, they're fixing Y, they're fixing Z, which fixes issue X, Y, Z within my own threat model. And just assess that and then separately go assess other options. Try not to directly compare them very much because we just can't really do that right now until we wait to see what Anchor is actually going to implement and how that actually looks for them. With that said, again, my personal theory here, which I cut out last week, is that I feel like once companies go through these super intense (laughs) sessions where they just get thrown against a wall, they kind of have no option but to start doing a lot better. So I wouldn't be surprised if like in six months, Anchor actually like comes out to be a pretty decent option, but we're just not there yet. Was there anything there that you... I, I don't really know anything about Anchor. I'd never heard of them before this story. I will say my personal non-technically related at all opinion is I really judge companies and people by how they react in times of crisis. Agreed. Like that's just, I'm one of those people that like everybody makes mistakes. My question is, how are you going to deal with it when it happens? And personally, I was spectacularly less than impressed by their handling of that situation. And again, I'd never even heard of them. They didn't even have a bar to meet and they still managed to disappoint. So I don't know. I I personally was not impressed by the way they handled that. But again, like that's not a technical analysis. I don't know. That's a great point nonetheless, though. Like regardless of the tech is good, there's always going to be issues down the road. And if they're not responding well to it, then that's a problem. So I guess that's something else to throw in there with the test of time to see if their responses improve because their response was pretty ass all things considered. And I mean, they just downplayed the entire issue and more and more things kept coming out and they still kept downplaying it. And it took them months now to finally come clean and just tell people like, oh yeah, we did kind of screw up. Here's what we're going to do now. Okay. So our next question comes from log off before it's too late. And uh, this was a a good question because it sent both me and Henry actually like 
doing some research to try and get some answers. It says security certificates via SSL and other cryptography on my phone and computer. Should I clear them from time to time? I don't want to sound too tinfoil hat-ish, but I'm thinking of an attack where you get a legitimate certificate, then two years down the line, it gets compromised and gets reused to allow no click since it came from a trusted source. There's a second part, but let's stop there. So, uh, from what we understand, and like I said, we just did this research, so we could be wrong. Feel free to correct us. But from what, what we understand, SSL certificates don't really get stored on your device for a long period of time like that. So when your computer goes to make the connection, it gets a copy of the, uh, the SSL cert, and then it also contacts the certificate authority who issued the cert to see if it's legitimate and a trusted CA. For example, recently we talked about TrustCore that turned out to be a CA with a very questionable history. And uh, as soon as that story came out, um, all the major browsers actually detrusted them. So yeah, it's a two-step process. Like they have to download the the cert, but then they also have to check and see that it's verified. Now, the the reason I don't think this is too much of an issue is because these do clear out from time to time, according to our research. This could happen as quickly as every time you close the browser, or it could be whenever you restart the device. So basically, as long as you're restarting devices regularly, which me personally, I shut down my computer every day. I restart my phones once a week, and I recommend everyone else do as well. So, I mean, yeah, this really shouldn't be an issue if you're closing your devices regularly and clearing them out. It should happen automatically. And then every time you visit a website, the the certs will be re-downloaded and re-verified. Before I move on, do you have anything to add there? Anything you think I missed or discovered while I was talking? I'm, I'm doing my hardest to find anything. Like Just that. anything that speaks to sites being able to freely access the entire SSL cache or SSL states or whatever you want to call this. or And there's just nothing like this. Um, so this is definitely in my book something that like, I, I just can't find anything that has that shows that this can be abused in any real meaningful way, especially on the mass scale. So I don't know. If, if you're someone who is being like ultra targeted and you're concerned about something like this, then maybe you should ask someone um, who maybe has a little bit more knowledge than we do about this just to confirm. But based on everything I'm reading, I can't find any good reason why how this could be abused in any meaningful way. Okay, and then on that note, the second part says, uh, from the privacy perspective, has anyone figured out how to use them as an extra identifier slash tracking cookie? That's what I, was, I think you actually, that's what I was yeah, to, you just answered yeah. that because sites can't access them. Being that I'm not super technical compared to a lot of people in this in this space, I would say it's maybe possible because I mean, like they figured out how to use favicons as super cookies and track people, so it might be possible for all I know, and just maybe nobody's done it. But I, yeah, um, I certainly haven't heard of anything like that, and. Henry's saying it doesn't sound like it's possible. It doesn't sound like websites I'm, have access to that. Kind I'm of trying a lot of like tricky searches now to try to find something. And I literally can't find anything that even hints at this, which doesn't mean it's not real. It just means I, I'm not even able to like find research. Okay. Henry's still searching that one. And I actually have a little good RX experience. So I'm going to answer this last question. It uh, comes from Clem. It's about last week. We talked about good RX tracking people and it says, I use good RX. How do I use it more privately? The things that I've done to increase privacy so far, I set up a unique email address solely for my account using simple login. I have gone into the settings and opted out of the personal data collection. I have used a voice over IP number. Uh, I've changed the cooking preferences to turn off marketing analytics and personalization. And I keep using it in a browser on my iPhone using Safari, using AdGuard. On Mac and Windows computers, I use Harden Firefox with uBlock. Is there anything else I can do? I think you did a really good job. I can't think of anything else to do except maybe not use an account. I don't know if there's an advantage to using an account. I use GoodRx basically to just like check and make sure we're getting the best deal on medication. Like I just look them up on the spot. I've never had an account. I have it bookmarked on my phone. I just pull it up in the browser when I'm in line at the, the pharmacy and like as they're reading off like, okay, this one's ready, this one's ready, this one's ready and they scan it in and I just compare the prices and where I go, I've, I've never really had to use it. Thankfully, they always give us a really good deal. So 
this is not me saying delete your account. I'm genuinely asking, like, I don't know if there's an advantage to having an account or if it just makes it more convenient because then you have them all listed there. But I've been doing just fine without having an account. That's the only thing I could possibly think of that you can maybe do to improve on this. Are you still lost in uh, the SSL search? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, and that was it this week. So we had some research on Windows 11 telemetry that was unfortunate but important to know. Americans uh, flunked a privacy test, which is also unfortunate, and we got to fix that. That's what we're trying to do out here. Reddit suffered a data breach, which we expect to hear more about. Um, Some big updates to Thunderbird coming. It's going to be a while, but they are on their way and much, much more. Again, this podcast, you know, we don't have any uh, any sponsors. And honestly, I like it that way. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I get tired of making the same promo spiel every week, but I like that we don't have any sponsors. That's really cool. So if you guys want to keep it that way, Patreon gives you the most perks in exchange for continual support. You can be part of the Q&A and ask a really good question like uh, Log Off did this week. That was a really good one. If you don't really care about the perks, but you want something that's a little bit more convenient than Monero and ongoing, like automatically recurring, then LibrePay is definitely the way to go. And if you just care about privacy 100% you're willing to put up with the inconvenience, Monero is definitely the way to go. We don't see anything about you and we appreciate the support. Every little bit helps. Thank you guys so much. And just a reminder, if you do like Monero and you're wanting to go to a conference, Monerotopia, May 5th through 7th in Mexico City. And I will be there. Code no surveillance one gets you 10% off. So yeah, check that out. Thank you guys for listening to the Surveillance Report. The final thing we want to ask of you, as always, share the podcast around. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that is an option. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with uh, the latest privacy news and keep people up to date on what's going on out there. So you can help us do that. Everything helps. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week.